0: Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the summer series of Popcorn and Compliance. Yes, Tom and Jay Rosen are back to look at the season three of The Mandalorian. All the things you would expect from Tom and Jay in a Popcorn and Compliance episode are with us in this series. Each episode, we'll look at the storyline Tom and Jay will discuss some of the highlights for them. I know you'll enjoy this special season of Popcorn and Compliance, The Mandalorian. If you're a fan of Star Wars or The Mandalorian, Jay and I would love to hear from you on your thoughts on this special podcast series. In this first episode, we take up The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 1, The Apostate. This special podcast series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, we are reintroduced to the armorer who is forging a new helmet for a foundling who is being accepted into the creed. A ceremony is held where he must vow never to remove his helmet. The ceremony is interrupted when a crocodile-like monster attacks the tribe. The clan initially fails to defend themselves, but they are saved by the Mandalorian and Grogu, who have been reunited when they appear. The Mandalorian speaks with the Armorer, expressing his belief that he can go to Mandalore and bathe in the living waters. The Armorer agrees that he will be accepted back into the covert should he achieve this. The Mandalorian and Grogu head out to Navarro, where they reunite with the High Magistrate, Grief Karga. Karga offers the Mandalorian a place to live. However, the Mandalorian declines. They are interrupted by a band of pirates who were members of Karga's guild. They kill off one of the pirates in a standoff, and the surviving pirate named Vane is sent away to inform the others that Karga will not tolerate pirates in Navarro. The Mandalorian explains that he needs to revive IG-11 as he needs a droid by his side on Mandalore. They retrieve what's left of IG-11's parts from his memorial statue in an attempt to revive him. They are eventually successful, but IG-11 reverts to his original programming and tries to kill Grogu. After shutting him down, they enlist the help of Anzillian Mechanics, who inform the Mandalorian they need a memory core to fix IG-11. The Mandalorian leaves Navarro in search of it and asks Cargo to look after IG-11 while he is gone. While attempting to leave Navarro, the Mandalorian and Grogu are attacked by a band of pirates, including Vane. They eventually lead to the leader, Gorgon Shard, who asks the Mandalorian to surrender his ship. The Mandalorian jumps to hyperspace and eventually heads to Calavela, a planet in the Mandalore system, where Bo-Katan now resides in her family's ancestral castle. She explains to the Mandalorian that she can no longer overtake Mandalore to rule it, as her allies have given up on her becoming mercenaries after failing to re- retrieve the Dark Saber from Moff Gideon, the Mandalorian explains his plan to seek redemption in the living waters beneath the mines of Mandalore, which Bo-Katan expresses her indifference, telling him that the planet Mandalore is cursed. She informs him that the mines beneath the Simic Center are the place to begin.
1: silent mode is on sorry about that
0: so jay what are your thoughts or at least some initial thoughts on the first episode the apostate
1: thanks tom at first i was a little bit confused at where we were going because it had been such a long time since it was between seasons two and between two and three so it brought me into my fog and then when we went through the whole bit about him having taken his mask off and lost his ability to be a Mandalorian. I think this set things up nicely for the way we were gonna go. And initially I had these flashbacks to Planet of the Apes when I was growing up and they made a series based on the movies and they were lame, the makeup was really not there, but they had certain respects to like a Star Wars movie that you had the whole anthology nature. So with us being set up that Mando needs to go back, bathe in the waters and try to get himself back into the good graces of the Mandalorian, I had a feeling that we were going to be starting off as like this journey. And I was really curious about where it was going to go.
0: Yes, and we do have a journey indeed. And in this first episode, I really enjoyed... A couple of things. One, the opening scene uh, where they were indoctrinating or enrolling or uh, granting, I'm not quite sure what, the youngest uh, Mandalorian. Foundling. foundling, uh, To become a full Mandalorian. So I really enjoyed that. And then whatever that reptile was, that was just a hugely fun fight scene with lots of action. And we got to see... The Mandalorians used all of their cool toys and tools. But I guess the other thing that struck me about that fight scene, Jay, was they just immediately attacked. Nobody had to tell them what to do. They didn't say. Some officer didn't give an order. They all just went on the attack. Now, they weren't really too successful because the creature was so large. And Vando took care of that, or Jing took care of that. But I thought that was an interesting scene from that perspective about a little background into the Mandalorian culture. And then the start of the journey where she, the armorer, or the woman who says, this is the way, which is something that is now said in the Fox household quite a bit, <laughs> particularly from my wife when there's chores
1: to be done. I, I think it was always like that, Tom. You just, she just gave it a name.
0: Perhaps. Perhaps you're on something. I enjoyed that part, and obviously you're spot on because we're about to go on a journey. And so we're about I, to
1: go can, ahead. Can I go back to some outside-the-episode questions for you that I have? Sure. And this has been such a long time ago, but there was another actress who was, I think, prepping to do the trip with the Mando, but she said some politically incorrect stuff and she was removed from the show. Now, this is a long time ago when people used to get removed for saying things politically incorrect and now they just get shown to the stage for debate. But what's her name? Is it Gina Carano? Is that the actress's name?
0: Yes, Gina Carano. She played a great character in the first two seasons. As much as I disagree with her politics, because it was right-wing magma hat wearing blather, she was great for this role, and she was a former rebellion or republic soldier who had, if not gone ill, well, had fallen from her faith, and she got that faith back with Mando and helping some people on another planet, and then she ended up as a sheriff. She became the sheriff in town in season two, and that was very cool. Actually, I always liked her as, a, as an actress. She's a former MA star, and so she can do some really cool stunts and fight scenes by herself. Her acting skills perhaps are on a different level than other Academy winners that we're aware of. She grunts a lot, and she broods a lot, and says a lot of monosyllabic words. When that's your character and you can pull it off, it's cool. And I enjoyed her role, but yeah, sadly, we lost her.
1: So, how important was Bo to the series before these episodes? Was she more of a bit player? And do you think she took the role for Carano, or was she always going to play her part as Bo She, I
0: think, had, was always going to be. A significant player because she was royalty, born into the royal family of Mandalore. Her father was king, emperor, whatever they call that, Elroy, Caesar. And she was a logical person to lead a new Mandalore and thought she would do so, but she couldn't or didn't capture the dark lightsaber. That is held by the leader of Mandalore. So she is brooding slash sulking slash deep in depression over this as this season three begins. But given, as I know where season three goes, spoiler alert, I think her role was always going to be pretty significant simply because she was born into the royal family.
1: All right. I, I knew I could count on you for that canonical information that we could pass on. But it just made me think I agreed with you that she was a very fresh face. She was a non-conventional actor. She didn't really talk a lot. But when she did, she carried a big stick. These will be things that you can try to find old scripts online or whatever. But I thought this would be an interesting point just to connect the dots.
0: Yeah, that was Gina, not Katie. Got it. (laughs) But particularly in season one, I thought she was very good in her role. It's always interesting when the outsider becomes the sheriff. And so she's playing a little bit against type in season two. But season one, I thought she was really good.
1: Awesome.
0: In terms of the journey, lots of spectacular scenery. What, how would you assess John Fav- Favreau? Is that how mm-hmm. you pronounce him? Yeah. How would you assess, not his role, because I think he does everything. <laughs> how you assess his sort of guardianship and stewardship of this series within the obviously within the context of the Star Wars universe, but also creating something completely new and different, but firmly within the Bible, if I can use that word, of Star Wars.
1: He is like a kid in the candy shop, and it just amazed me how he was able to strike a real balance. Between too many cutesy little muppets and Grogu and all that stuff, which could have been cheesy and Jar Binks kind of way, but instead they all contributed. And there were he did a great job bringing back these people who had maybe one or two lines. So the woman who has the chop shop where they break up the cars, and who were the guys in the brown robes? What's their name? The, the first was- star. The Jawas. So right. he was very good about paying homage to where this comes from. But it's almost like he's got an unlimited limited checkbook. All those special effects, all those fights, when you're talking about when we get to the last two fights, those are just blowouts. I would love to see the budgets. And yes, a lot of it shot in front of a blue screen. But still, to have these different adventures that he has to go up against and to create them, It seems like he had a blank canvas and was very good. He knows it. He gets the universe. It's almost 20 years ago when Kevin Smith wanted to come in and do Star Wars stuff. I think Kevin was maybe even too much of a fanboy. But Favreau, really from coming out there, coming up on Swingers, for him to be given the trust by Lucasfilm to go out and create this universe, I, I think he just kicks ass.
0: So, the difficulty I have is the character he played in the MCU, Happy. And hopefully, everyone listening to this is an MCU fan because Happy is a great minor character. But I have to assume Favreau, the director, producer, showrunner, all around guru, is very different than Happy, the. I'm not quite sure what his character is in the MCU, except there for comic relief. And maybe Wait. to bang. Aunt May.
1: He's a chauffeur, isn't he? Technically?
0: Then he became a security guy and then he's romantically involved with Aunt May. So
1: you're not taking away any of his credit. It just doesn't connect from you. They seem to be two separate entities (laughs) and you don't see where one starts and the other begins.
0: Yeah, because that's the only time I hear him talk is as happy. So the other thing that I think we have to talk about in every episode in this series is the artwork which ends each episode. My we looked for, yeah, to that as much. And when I say artwork, stills, drawings, of not of really the the story. I guess they came from the storyboard.
1: Yeah, uh, it's called the uh, storyboard.
0: Yeah, each show. And it, it is as much a part of each episode. I really hope the first time I saw that, they were going to put that in a book and collect it and release it as the Mandalorian storyboard or whatever they wanted to call it because I, for one, definitely would have bought it.
1: I understand the Mouse House is having a little bit of financial difficulties. So maybe Kathleen Kennedy and the good people at LucasArts or LucasFilm could put your coffee table book into production.
0: Maybe we could work a deal. (laughs) I could do it for them. Self-published on Amazon.
1: But just to really say... I'm totally on board with you, Tom. And I don't know if it's my growing up in the movie industry and liking that stuff, but it just was, it's such a class thing to give credit, first of all, to storyboard artists, but just to look at the kind of fantastical universe that he imagined and then how they brought that to life. So kudos on that as well.
0: So as part of the journey in this episode, Jay, we get to go to Navarro where Jean. reacquaints himself with the High Magistrate. Apollo the Creed. about Apollo Creed. And yes, Carl Weathers in the flesh. He's the High Magistrate of this planet. And we get a little bit of a sense of the structure of this new republic because he is the High Magistrate for a planet that is Navarro, that is on the outer rim and about as far away from civilization as one can be, and still be in a relatively civilized part of the galaxy. So it's got some of the growing pains that you would typically see in the frontier city or if you're familiar with any of the Westerns where it's on the frontier, but getting to see Carl Weathers, Apollo Creed himself is always very cool. And at the end of the episode, Jing ends with meeting Bo-Katan that we talked a little little bit about earlier. And Jing says that he's off to Mandalore to find the waters so that he can reclaim his right as a Mandalorian, having violated the way. Any thoughts on how this ended?
1: Just uh, another thing that, I'm really impressed with his his dealing, the way he deals with a lot of archetypes. So we're talking about John Ford Westerns, or we're talking about spaghetti Westerns like Sergio Leone. There's always the man without a name, and there's certain constructs that you can use to your benefit because everybody understands those characters. And when we talk a little bit later on in this series about IG-11, It comes out to some real, again, could be hokey in the wrong guy's hands. But when we talk about how IG-11 becomes IG-12, there's some fun laughs right there.
0: This is Tom Fox. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Popcorn and Compliance, where in this special season, we're looking at The Mandalorian Season 3. Popcorn and Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. If Jay and I would love to hear from you, if you have any comments, questions, or information you would like to share with us about your feelings, views on The Mandalorian Season 3. Thanks again for listening, and we hope that you will join us again for our next episode of Popcorn and Compliance. The Mandalorian Season 3.